This is Matt Pennington with Radio Free Asia. Welcome to South China Sea Currents, our weekly podcast about what's happening in the South China Sea and how we've been covering those events at RFA and Banar News. As ever, I'm joined by our South China Sea reporter, Drake Long. Hi, Drake. How's it going? It's going well. Glad to have you back. So, over the past week, the United States has wheeled out some of its big guns in the South China Sea, or I should say, sailed out. <laughs> For the first time in at least four years, two U.S. aircraft carriers were on maneuvers there. That followed a Chinese naval drill around the disputed Paracel Islands that drew criticism not just from the U.S., but from Vietnam and the Philippines. So what does this all mean? These are relatively benign military exercises, or could this maybe presage something more serious and a higher risk of conflict breaking out? Now, Drake, before you try and answer that burning question, can you just tell us a little bit about these competing military drills by the US and China that we've seen in the past week or so? Sure. So last week, China announced that they were going to hold military drills around the Paracel Islands from July 1st to July 5th. And like you said, that earned them a, a quite the diplomatic outcry from the Philippines and Vietnam. The subject of the exercise, you know, we took some satellite imagery, we, we tried to cover, you know, what exactly they're going to exercise while they're there, what kind of platforms and assets have they rolled out for it. And it seems like they put all these assets in place, ships, uh, helicopter landing docks and whatnot, to simulate an island seizure campaign, literally storming an island or a rock per se, to occupy it and then suppress unrest while they're on the island. Naturally, if you're a South China Sea claimant, uh, that would kind of rub you the wrong way. And it definitely did with the Philippines and Vietnam because they issued notes basically denouncing it. Uh, Vietnam's case, that wasn't too surprising. But the Philippines, it was. Uh, there's been this impression that the Terte, the president of the Philippines, was moving closer towards China this whole time. But this outcry against the exercise in the Paracels was quite strident. And they actually said, you know, don't let these exercises approach Philippine waters. If they approach Philippine waters, that's going to be a problem for us, like our relations. So simultaneously, overlapping with the Chinese naval exercise, the USA sent two aircraft carriers into the South China Sea for a dual carrier drill. They had been performing one in the Philippine Sea and then just simply moved to the South China Sea. So it's not clear if this was, this was likely planned ahead of time but it's unclear if it was planned, you know, weeks in advance, months in advance, or maybe even days in advance. But regardless, one thing we do know is that the drills happened close enough that they could see each other. You have Chinese naval officers looking at a dual carrier operation by the USA. You have U.S. naval officers being able to stare down and look at a Chinese naval drill in the parasols. That's pretty unprecedented. And we're not just talking about two big ships here. It's a whole two pairs of carrier strike groups, right, oh, on yeah. the U.S. side yeah, there's a whole complement of uh, aircraft that were involved. I mean, it was, it's it's quite the show of the flag, to be honest with you. It, it's not just aircraft, but you've also got destroyers, you've also got surface smaller ships. And at one point, Japan, the Japanese Maritime Self-Defense Force, actually joined the USA uh, in those dual carrier operations. So yeah, it was, it was not just carriers, it was the whole shebang. So how did China react to this? Was there much, much commentary in the public media? Uh, well, they didn't react too well. I mean, I don't think that's much of a shocker. They were not happy. They accused the USA of uh, fomenting unrest, uh, basically hurting the stability of the South China Sea. They said that outside countries are trying to agitate and trying to disturb the peace. It was not received well. And I can guarantee you China was likely observing the exercises the whole time just to kind of show that they're not happy with them. 
so the backdrop of all these exercises, of course, is, you know, several months of mounting tension, mainly, I think, driven by China's very assertive behavior with its Coast Guard ships and its survey ships and its maritime militia. So what does this all add up to? Is there a heightened risk of conflict breaking out in the South China Sea? Right. Well, that's the subject of our latest article, actually. Uh, We interviewed a handful of experts on exactly this question. They all said, yes, there is a higher risk of escalation into a full-blown conflict in the South China Sea when you have militaries operating this close to each other. Um, It's just a simple matter of statistics. One of the takeaways from that article, while we were doing some research on it, shows that the communications between the USA and China, if there's some sort of incident, like an accident, like a boat collision between the US and a Chinese Navy vessel, the communications during a crisis like that are not as good as people think they are. And that's kind of the last line of defense before sailors go, okay, well, it's on. Um, This is the opening stages of a conflict. We better shoot across the bow or do something drastic. On the Chinese side, apparently a lot of Chinese naval officers don't really know how to improvise in those sorts of really tense situations. And on the U.S. side, oftentimes when they reach out to Chinese counterparts to defuse these sorts of crises, it's not really even a guarantee that the Chinese are going to pick up the phone. There is a hotline, so to speak, between the U.S. and China, but it won't necessarily work when it needs to. No, and sometimes it's a literal hotline. I mean, these military red phones that you kind of have. We interviewed one expert, Andrew Scobell, at Rand and Marine Corps University, who said they tend to be slow, um, less reliable than people think. Like I said, the Chinese side doesn't typically pick up because they're not trying to stonewall the Americans. It's just they don't really know what to say. And there's not a huge freedom to kind of improvise on the spot and say, oh, we're sorry about that. Or, oh, okay, we'll back down. Or you need to back down. They don't want to take the initiative because that could get them in trouble with the higher ups. So what did the experts say could be the most likely trigger of a conflict? Well, the most likely trigger is just when you have two military vessels side by side, and perhaps you have them getting very, very close, and one ship is not veering away, and it hits the other ship. Or you have a situation where last week you had a Chinese survey vessel within a Vietnamese EEZ, and you had a U.S. patrol ship go out there to kind of observe the situation. If you have a situation where maybe the Chinese Coast Guard comes to back up that survey ship, and then you have shots across the bow, you have rules of engagement for these sorts of things where ships are dangerously close to one another, and neither one really wants to show that they're the cowards, so to speak. So basically, it's just accidents or misinterpretations. If the USA shoots across the bow of a Chinese ship, that doesn't mean it's time to go to war, for Pete's sake. But if you're a Chinese Navy officer, you might think, well, yeah, I mean, why else would they shoot at us? And of course, vice versa. It all depends on how they interpret their orders at the top. And those sorts of accidents are more and more common the more stuff that is in the South China Sea, the more ships, the more planes, what have you. The historical precedent that we looked into was the EP3 incident in 2001. That was when you had a U.S. intelligence gathering plane collide with a Chinese fighter jet in the South China Sea. That was a major, major international incident, but China and the USA kept it from becoming anything more than an incident, a problem. It was dealt with rather peaceably, and there's really a sense that that sort of incident would not go over as easily now as it did back then. Sadly, I'm old enough to remember quite clearly that incident, (laughs) and it it was kind of like the first big international test for the George W. Bush administration, and it, it it was a big deal at the time, but like you say, it was handled in a reasonable way, although 
I think one Chinese pilot died, but um, yes. the U.S. crew were eventually set free and, and things moved on. So have there been any sort of more recent incidents in the South China Sea where we've seen a potential risk for escalation? Well, I mean, there have been many incidents between China and Southeast Asian countries that would be the kinds of incidents that experts are worried about happening between China and the USA. In April, you had a Vietnamese fishing boat get rammed and sank off the paracels. You've had a Chinese warship train its radar gun on a Philippine Navy vessel back in February. That led to a huge uh, snafu with the Philippines, actually. But you have these sorts of little incidents with Southeast Asian countries pretty often. And I mean, just last week, you had a Chinese survey ship within Vietnamese waters. And right now, you have a Chinese Coast Guard ship in a disputed part of the South China Sea that is within Vietnamese borders, the Vanguard Bank. The Vanguard Bank sparked a, a huge standoff last year, and it looks like Vietnam and China are headed for one this year. But those incidents typically don't flare up into full conflict. I mean, it seems that over the years, Southeast Asian nations have been pretty good at managing conflict situations in the South China Sea. There hasn't been a, a shooting match there for like three decades or more. Why is that? And should that give us confidence that nations in the region are, are able to manage these sort of situations? Well, I mean, the main thing is that it's not really in any Southeast Asian country's interest to go to war with China over something like the South China Sea. For one, despite the rhetoric that you might hear, you know, they're all weaker than China. They don't have the same type of navy. The Chinese Coast Guard is bigger than most of their navy vessels, actually. And a lot of them have economic ties to China that really can't be underestimated. In the Vietnam case, you have a lot of maybe nationalist posturing. You have a lot of discontent over China's position in the South China Sea, but they do have really deep economic ties to China. And they also have a sense of, we don't really want to provoke China any worse than they already are. I mean, that, that could end up being terrible for them in the long run. So what's the perspective from Southeast Asian nations about the U.S.-China rivalry and the risk these nations in Southeast Asia could get sucked into a conflict? Right. Well, we've had a Vietnamese lieutenant general, or maybe he's a senior colonel. It's a little bit hard to figure out the Vietnamese military title system. But you have a Vietnamese retired military figure saying that he's not happy with the Chinese presence in the South China Sea and the U.S. presence in the South China Sea. This is actually a pretty similar line to what you saw during the West Capella incident in Malaysian waters from April to May, where you had Chinese and uh, U.S. warships very close to each other. And the Malaysian foreign minister came out and said very succinctly, we're not really happy with either side, to be honest with you. We just want less warships in the area in general. There is a sense that for some countries, it's perhaps welcome to have the U.S. presence in the South China Sea because it deters China from more provocative behavior. If you look at the Philippines kind of flip-flopping between taking a tough line with China and taking more of a soft line, they seem to be swinging back to taking a tough line largely because they seem to have realized that the Chinese presence is best deterred by their alliance with the USA, which is also why you saw the suspension of the termination of the visiting forces agreement between the Philippines and the USA, which is a whole jumble of words. But it's basically saying that the Philippines is trying to get the US alliance back on track because you have these provocative Chinese actions right within their waters. It does seem like there's an ambivalence among Southeast Asian nations. Like on, on the one side, you know, they kind of can be reassured by the U.S. presence to help them stand up to China. But they're also worried by the prospect that this could spark some sort of great power struggle in the backyard. Yeah, absolutely. It's very different from what you have with um, 
very staunch U.S. allies that are outside the region, like Australia and Japan, for example. Just this past week, you had the trilateral defense officials meeting between Australia, Japan, and the USA, where they gave a very full-throated rebuke of China's actions in the South China Sea, calling them provocative, decrying the Chinese Coast Guard and the maritime militia. And you've had Japan and Australia release new ideas about their defense strategy. In Australia's case, a defense strategic update. In Japan's case, they've had like a National Security Council meeting equivalent where they name China as kind of a a huge threat. They're very concerned about China's actions in the South China Sea. But the thing is that for those countries, they're outside the South China Sea. They're outside the region. For Southeast Asian countries, the stakes are much, much higher if a conflict were to break out. And it's not necessarily clear that they would side with the USA or with China or really want to side with either. You kind of see this idea of, well, let's just try to settle things through negotiations with ASEAN, the Association of Southeast Asian Nations. They're negotiating with China for a code of conduct. We've covered it in podcast episodes before. Uh, They're not going well, but it's the idea that they can just talk it out that they're kind of clinging to. I mean, the idea that you'd have a more durable sort of solution to this long-running tension that we have in the South China Sea with all these different nations, with their competing claims and the risk of it sparking a conflict. Yeah. And as we discussed, the prospects for the code of conduct actually coming to fruition remain pretty murky. Oh, yeah. They're supposed to be settled in, I believe, 2021. I don't think there's any real expectation that they will be settled by that time. China has not really changed its position on uh, anything when it comes to 